smartphone, uh, iPad, some device, she'll be looking at Scripture with us. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 10 this morning. <clears throat> Been working our way through Luke, um, just a, as a means of a little bit of recap, um, be reminded that that Luke has been written, right, um, to, to show an orderly account of the life of Jesus from really the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist through the announcement of the birth of Jesus um, into the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, which then leads into Luke's sequel, which is Acts, um, and his ascension in the first generation or so of the church. That Luke really went through and, and he wanted to lay out an orderly account for um, his patron Theophilus and those um, who would benefit from it, um, which we are some of those benefiting from it this morning. And so last week, as we were in Luke 10, we saw Jesus sending out not just the 12 disciples, but from the crowd, 72 others, um, that they have come back, that they've had success in ministry, that we're, we're beginning to see. Jesus has set his face with resolve to head to Jerusalem, um, and he is training and equipping the disciples in what it means that he will be a suffering servant, right? That he is a Messiah who has come, but it's not going to look like what they anticipated. And so we're going to pick up this morning in Luke 10, verse 25. We see this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? We're going to stop there for just a moment. And so we have a scene again where Jesus is teaching. He's amongst the disciples in the crowd. And um, what would often happen is if someone, the, the teacher would be seated, and if you wanted to address them as a sign of respect, you would stand up. And so this gentleman stands up to ask Jesus a question. And, and, and his um, posture is showing respect. The question itself is a great question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Right, but we see, and Luke lets us know, that the, the motives behind the question were not great. That he is looking to put Jesus to the test. Right, the, the scribes and the religious leaders and, the, and, and these folks were coming around and they were wanting to see if Jesus was going to be faithful to the Scriptures. If he was going to be faithful to the law. And so he is looking to find something that he can poke and prod at Jesus. To find him saying something that it would not be approved of. And Jesus, right, simply says, all right, what do you think? You answer it to me, right? What, what does Scripture ask of us? And the gentleman answers well. He quotes, I'm going to read them to you, from two passages in the Old Testament. The first is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Um, and it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Right? Like he's quoting Scripture here. And then he combines it with Leviticus 19. Uh, and he says this in verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
And so he basically takes all of the law and sums them up in Deuteronomy 6.5 and in Leviticus 19.18 and says, we should love God and we should love people, right? We should love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? He answers with a theologically rich, robust, and accurate answer. And so although his motives um, were not great, he's revealing he does know Scripture. And Jesus looks and he says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say knowing the right answer is sufficient. Right? That we can often have the right theological background and, and knowledge and, and expertise, and he doesn't say that that's sufficient. Right? We, we see this um, in, in really West Texas churches often where we've taught people that, if, hey, as long as you know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's, he died for you, then you'll go to heaven someday, right? And, and we even have like, created a name for that, right? It's like fire insurance. Right? Go do what you want to do, but at least know the right stuff about Jesus. Listen, there's no, there's no exam in that regard where you just have to like, stuff the right answer away. It is about following Jesus. It's about doing what He has called us to do. And so He affirms to this lawyer, you have the right information. Do it. Like, are you doing it? Listen, we, we see this in parenting, right? That you can ask your child to do something and they can uh, articulate it back to you. Yes, I heard what you asked me to do. And I'm going to leave the room as though I'm going to go do it. I'm not going to do it. Right? And we wouldn't... And, and so you go in there half an hour later and you're like, hey, I thought I asked you to clean your room. Or I thought I asked you to pick up the backyard. Or I thought I asked you to... Yeah, you did. Yeah, I, I remember you saying that. You didn't do it. Oh, I know. Right? Like you wouldn't then say, well, I, I applaud you for your obedience in knowing the right answer. You would say you have been disobedient, although you knew the right answer. You knew what was expected of you. You did not do it. That is not obedience. That's disobedience. And so he is telling this lawyer here, you know the right thing, but the question is, is are you doing it? And so, um, again, he, he's gonna, the lawyer is going to continue to push a little bit. In verse 29, but he, right, and you're like, man, don't stop, stop. Quit digging a bigger hole here. He says, desiring to justify himself. Right? He's not asking for Jesus to justify him. He's, at, he's like, I want to justify me. All right, Jesus. We got a little repertoire, um, like a little back and forth going here. Who is my neighbor? See how you answer that. And here's what the lawyer is thinking. Listen, I know I'm supposed to take care of my people. Right? We're Israel. We're supposed to do that. We know that. But Jesus, Rome has conquered us. Like, they're invaders right now. You, you certainly don't mean that Rome is our neighbor, right? And non-Jews, Gentiles, right? They're pagans. They're impure and unclean. You don't mean them, right? And Jesus, there are tax collectors who are traitors. But there are people who are now working for the invading government. Right? He's, he's thinking like, I don't want to waste my good neighborness, right? It's like, who can, I, who can I eliminate from that that I don't have to do that for, is really his question. I don't want to, I don't want to have to do it for everybody. And, and Jesus, you don't, who, so who's my neighbor? Like, go ahead and give me a list here of who it is, or you, if you want to tell me who it isn't, I'll take either one. Let's see how Jesus responds. Pick up in verse 30. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So Jesus, right, he says, Who's my neighbor? And Jesus responds with a story. And, and the road that he would have taken here from, from Jerusalem to Jericho um, was, a, was a winding, kind of treacherous road that went from an elevated place to below sea level. I mean, there were lots of nooks and crannies and caves and places to hide out. And it was notorious for being a place that was dangerous to travel. Like, you, we can read this for um, hundreds of years that people just knew this was a road you didn't travel alone. This was a road that you were likely to be assaulted or attacked or robbed, right? And he says, so we know this road is dangerous, and now we hear that there's just this one guy who's doing it, and he falls among robbers, and he's beaten, and he's robbed, and he's stripped, and he's left for dead. And so, right, they can picture this road, and he's laying there, and people aren't sure if he's alive or dead, and then, like the good fortune, a priest comes down that road, right, in the right time. And he sees the gentleman... And he moves on around and keeps on going. And then a Levite, right, who is um, a different portion of the religious um, leadership. Really, if you want to simplify it, they were kind of like the priest assistants. Um, they did some of the lesser tasks in the temple, some of the work that... And so here he comes, and he also passes by. And so the question that we can be asking is like, man, why? Why would they not stop and help? And, and ultimately, Luke here and Jesus are not super concerned with their motives. And now we, could, we can do a little guessing. It could be that um, they see a corpse or what they think is a corpse, and they're like, that would make me impure. I think I'll keep on going. It could be that they realize, hey, it's a physical reminder right here that this is a dangerous road. This guy just got beaten. It looks like it wasn't too long ago. They may still be around here. I don't want that to happen to me. And so out of fear, out of an awareness of a very real danger, they're like, can't do anything for him, let's just keep on going. So it could have been out of religious purity, it could have been out of fear for their own life. And honestly, we know that in situations when, when we're alone and people aren't watching, that sometimes the motivation from why we don't do something is, is who's going to know? Whether I stop or I don't, like who's going to know? It doesn't matter. And so these men both move on past. And the motive ultimately doesn't matter because they, neither one acted. And so, as, as those who were listening to the story at this point, most likely what they were going to expect to come, the third person to come, was going to be a Jewish layperson, right? A non-clerical, non-religious leading Jewish person. And Jesus is going to kind of make a scathing report against the religious elite, right? Like, that's probably what people are anticipating. And then Jesus says... And a Samaritan comes. 
and we we really can't um, fathom like the guttural just response that would have come from this Samaritan, right? Like you can almost imagine people here now spitting, right? Like these are folks that, that the Samaritans and the Jews both religiously and ethnically just despised one another. Um, for a Jew to eat with a Samaritan was equivalent to them eating pork, right? It made them impure, unclean. It was something they could not fathom doing. They wouldn't have done it. And so for us, right, maybe we, we throw in here the Samaritan, um, depending on where you land politically, it's the alternate party, right? Maybe if you're a conservative, it's a progressive. If you're a progressive, it's a conservative, right? Or maybe it's, it's just it's a Muslim extremist. Right, like that you've seen the people that you trust and you love that belong to you not handle it well. And now, who is it that inside, it kind of makes your blood boil, right? That you feel like, I'm, I'm not them. They are far from me. I'm better than them. And that's the person that steps in now to offer help. Remember earlier in chapter 9, that when the disciples went into Samaria, right, on the way, preparing the way for Jesus, on the way to Jerusalem, and the Samaritans rejected it because Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. And the disciples were like, you want us to set them on fire? Right? Like, we'll call it down and destroy them. But Jesus is like, no, that's not what I want at all. Like that there was just this level of, of hatred. And yet here He comes. Maybe you can imagine this morning this sermon being preached um, in Ukraine. And a couple of Ukrainian religious folks go by the Ukrainian, and then it's the Russian who stops. Right? Like, can you imagine the the emotion of that sermon this morning? Right? As they're being invaded, as they're as they're considering that they're at war, and then you're like, wait, the Russian's going to be the good guy? That's what's taking place in this story. That you can imagine just the the vitriol of of, of hearing, but a Samaritan, verse thirty three, as he journeyed came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. We remember in Luke 7, we see a moment where Jesus says that Luke says he had compassion. And it was when the widow, right, her son is being carried out. He, he's died. Her only son. It says that Jesus had compassion. And when Jesus had compassion, he acted on it. He did something. He, he brought this son to life. That here for the Samaritan, he's not just feeling bad that something has happened to this stranger on the road, he acts on it. He shows mercy and compassion in multiple ways. Listen, it says he came to him, right? It's, he didn't pass by. He came to him. And he bound up his wounds. And he poured oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. And then right, he's walking him now to a place. And remember, the same danger is lurking. That, that which would have kept the priest and the Levite going is still there, but the Samaritan has now put him on an animal, and he takes him to an inn. And he takes out two denarii, which is two days' wages, and he gives them to the innkeeper, right? Um, the stay at an inn would have cost roughly a twelfth of a denarii. So he's basically paying for somewhat like 24 days in the inn. He is going above and beyond out of abundance to tell this innkeeper, like, I'm, I'm not asking you to make it. I'm paying for it care for him and I'll come back. And if you spend more, I'll pay more. Like he's giving motivation to the innkeeper to care for this person. Whatever you repay, and I will repay you when I come back. He sees a need and he meets it. 
Jesus saying, this is like, this is love here. This is compassion. This is grace. This is, this is love. And so Jesus tells this simple story. And then he looks at the lawyer and he says, all right, so who's his neighbor? Like, which one of the three is his neighbor? Because the question that the, the lawyer started with was revealing this. How little do I have to do? What is the minimum required to please God? Like, who is, who isn't my neighbor? Like, let's get this sorted out. Because he would have been used to um, Jewish lineage and ancestry, letting him know who his neighbors were, and anyone who wasn't, they're out. Right? Even the priestly system, right? You're born a Levite. It wasn't about performance. You were born into it. And so he's wanting to know, like, what can I do here? Who do I care for and who do I not? You remember earlier in Luke, in chapter 3, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's out preaching, and folks are coming to find him and to see him, and he's setting the table for Jesus. In verse 7, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Right? That John saw that the Jews at this point, the nation of Israel, they were putting their faith in their heritage, not in God. Not across the board, but huge percentages of them were saying, I'm good because of my blood because of my bloodline, because of my ancestry. It had nothing to do with knowing or pleasing God. And he says, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children. Even now the axe is laid to the root of trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This man, this lawyer, is asking the same question his nation is asking. Like, wait, being Jew isn't enough? Like being from Israel isn't enough. What do you want us to do? And in Luke 3, the crowd says, like they hear it and they respond like, oh, what do we do? And he begins to give specific examples that John does. Here, Jesus asks him, all right, so which one is the neighbor? And he answers correctly. Well, it's the one who showed him mercy. Right? He doesn't go with his brother Jew, right? Or his religious leaders. He's able to articulate, well, the neighbor was the one who was good to it. Jesus tells him, yeah, you're right, so go and do likewise. In verse, 29, or sorry, verse 28 and in verse 37, Jesus answers both of the lawyer's questions by saying, go and do it. You have the right information, go and do it. So, the call for the lawyer and for us this morning is this, is that obedience, total obedience and devotion and like love for God, right? Like our love for Him will then lead to it flowing from us to others. That if we see God rightly, if we know Him rightly, that it impacts the way we engage with others. Right? We can go back even just a little bit in Luke when Peter and James and John are on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and the veil is pulled back, and they see Jesus in all of His glory and realize, you are who you say you are. Like, let's stay here and worship you 
forever. This is tremendous. And Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain, right? Where does He go? He goes back down. Because there's ministry to be done. There's people who are broken and desperate and needing hope. And they immediately go into a situation where um, a son needs to be healed. Right? Like They go into the ministry and into the work that what we're seeing from Luke here is that he's saying, listen, the way you see and know God rightly will impact the way that you live and the way that you care for others. So for us this morning, listen, you don't get to pick your family, right? Um, although you get to pick the church you attend, you don't get to pick who shows up in the church after you're there, right? Like you might make a decision based on who's already there, but you don't get to stand at the door and say, mm, not you. If, I, if you want me to stay, you don't get to come. Right? That, that, that doesn't go well. Right? Like that you become a part of a church family and you're not in control of who is and who isn't there. Right? Like he's trying to help us understand that as you move into a community, right, that you are seeing the whole community as your neighbors. Listen, we in the West, we've attempted um, somewhat to, to circumvent this, right? And you'll see whole neighborhoods and whole communities um, flee from certain types of people to be around people like them, right? Like we've seen this happen where we're used to communities where communities, now we see people going, ah, not you, I, I want to be around you. Ah, not y'all, I want to be around y'all. And making decisions to circumvent who is my neighbor, right? Or isolating themselves so they don't have to ask the question, who is my neighbor? Because what Jesus is revealing to the lawyer and to us is the question of who is my neighbor is the wrong question. The question is, is am, am I being a neighbor? He doesn't tell the, the lawyer, hey, here's who your neighbors are and here who aren't. He says, are you being a neighbor? Are you showing kindness and mercy and love to those who are near you and far from you, who those who are religiously like you and those who aren't? Those that are your enemies or ethnically different? Like, be a neighbor. Like that's what the love of Christ compels us to do is to go be a neighbor, to love mercy and to show it to others. That's why one of the core values here at Redeemer is that we want to be reflective of our community. We don't get to decide who lives here. Like no one's asked for my opinion on that. No one's asked for our opinion on that. So what we want to do is love the people who are here, right? Across ethnicities, across socioeconomic boundaries and across educational boundaries across ages. We want to fight to look like our community that when someone walks in, they go, oh, I see myself here. I could be here. I could belong to this place. Because we want to be good neighbors. Not circumventing or moving. Be a neighbor. The question then is meant to bring about self-examination. Because what the lawyer is doing here is he's like, ah, Jesus like, you want me to love my neighbor as myself? That's a hard call. Is there any way we could soften that? Who is my neighbor? Right? Like, he's going, I actually hear the, the response, and I don't know that I'm going to like it. So can we soften it so that I only have to do it for some and not for others? And Jesus doesn't soften it. He doesn't take the edge off. And so this morning, would we take the time to examine ourselves? Are we being good neighbors? And we have to 
in some regards, right? A limit, like when we hear neighbors, you think of literally the people around you. It includes them, but it's not limited to them. Right? The good neighbor here, the Samaritan, did not live next to the man that was beaten and robbed and left for dead. He was interrupted in his day and met someone along the way and then was a good neighbor in that moment. They didn't then move in next to each other and become best friends. Right? Like he's saying, how we see and treat the people around us that God brings in and out of our lives. Are we being a good neighbor? Not just to the, to the person next to us, but to the people in and around our life. How do we do that? How do we become good neighbors? As we love and follow and submit and obey Jesus, He is transforming us into image bearers. That we are reflecting His nature and His character to the world around us. Looking like the hands and feet of Jesus in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in our families and in our friend groups, right? And in our hobbies and in our civic organizations and in the places we travel and in the places like that we look like Jesus in those places. That no one is excluded. That we don't eliminate and say, ah, that whole group of people, they don't get it. They don't get to have it. Here, the Samaritan is loving one of his Jewish enemies. And Jesus, a Jew, is affirming the Samaritan who should have been an enemy. We're seeing the love of enemies take place. In all reality, it looks like places like this and our homes becoming safe places, right? That people are drawn to them. Because they're, they're seen and they're heard and they belong and they're loved and mercy and compassion is shown. I want to read a couple verses to you. One is actually out of Leviticus 19 where we were earlier. That chapter continues. So I want you to see this is both an Old Testament and a New Testament idea. In verse 34 of Leviticus 19, I'll start in verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do to him wrong. You shall treat the stranger, this is like a foreigner, who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What what Scripture is reminding the Israelites here is, You treat the foreigner good because you were the foreigner. And you were rescued. And you were redeemed. And you were brought out. Like, you've received this, so you show it. You image what you've received. We see this in uh, John uh, 13. Verse 35. A new commandment, this is verse 34, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we see this this thread connecting both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The call of God's people is that when you know God, when you've received His love, when you've tasted and seen that He is good, that it then flows out to those around us. And that we don't dictate who gets it and who doesn't. who's included and who's excluded. We become good neighbors. We don't define who our neighbors are. Like That is the the heart of this story here. We see this as well in the prophets. 
This is Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's, it's to act on what we've received from God for the benefit of those around us. So it means that we're present, right? That we see the situations and the people around us. Like no one asked the Samaritan that day, hey, are you a good neighbor? Like in the moment when there was an opportunity revealed, he saw it and he acted on it. Right? We have these opportunities, right, in small ways and in big ways to be involved and to see others. Listen, I read that call to worship this morning. To who are weary and need rest. To those who feel alone and want community. To those who mourn and long for comfort. To those who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To those who fail and desire strength. To those who worry and want peace. To those who sin and need a Savior. To those who hunger and thirst. Like, because that's our community. It's us and it's those around us. There are people that resonate and are longing for a place that would say, you're welcome and you belong and this is for you because Jesus is sufficient. That is what it looks like to be a church that are, is full of good neighbors. And so we're doing that together this morning. We do that in gospel communities throughout the week. And then we're asking us to do it as individuals and families in our various places in the community and our workplaces throughout the week. Calling others to say, oh, there's a place. There's a place. And it's not ultimately Redeemer. It's Jesus. There's a place in Him. Would you come? Would you taste and see that He is good? So, the lawyer in this moment, right, when he says, so who is my neighbor? Right, the, the right question would have been, and maybe the questions that we're asking this morning is this is, God, how can we do this? This is a lot. This is hard. And I don't know that I want to. Right? How can we? I don't want to. For honest, I haven't always been a good neighbor. Right? Like these are the questions bouncing in our, our minds and our hearts. And if the lawyer would have heard, right, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The response then isn't, well, who's my neighbor? Define who gets my love. It should have been, God, who can do that? I haven't. Can I still receive eternal life? Because that's where this started. Was Can I receive eternal life? when I? And he doesn't ask that. He looks to justify himself. But for us this morning, when we realize we haven't always been good neighbors, and if we're asking the question, God, how do we get eternal life? The, the natural flow would be, can we still, when we have failed at this? We haven't been this. But Jesus has. Jesus has. Right? Like, here He is calling us to obedience, but what Luke is also giving us is this trajectory of, hey, Jesus is on the road right now to Jerusalem. He's headed to His death. His destruction, right, on our behalf. Those who are dead in their sins are going to have someone who sees them and doesn't leave them in their death. But is going to pay the price and pay the cost to pick them up and to heal them and to bring them home. Like that's what G Jesus is going to live out 
this story. Listen uh, to how Paul writes. This is Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to kind of hit up some highlights of Ephesians chapter 2. And you, meaning all of us, were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the Hmong, at work in the sons of disobedience. We're dead. We are the one laying there dead. Right? But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Like Jesus is enacting this story, this parable in the, at the cross in our lives. Go down to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And that is often where we stop. We're like, oh God, thank you for saving me. Thank you that you didn't leave me dead. Thank you that you brought me back. Thank you that you paid the price, right? But listen to verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, your ability to be a good neighbor does not save you. It can't. You cannot justify yourself. But Jesus saw you in your pitiful death and your, your rebellion and all these things for all of us and has rescued you. And then, because you've been rescued, says, I want you to look like me, walk like me, reflect like me, and go and be a good neighbor to those who need it. And so we can receive eternal life. We can inherit it, not from our ability of self-justification, but because our good Savior has redeemed and rescued us, and then has called us to walk it out and to be the good neighbor. Justification is available in Christ. It is. We are called to be the Good Samaritan here, but we are also called to see that we were the one beaten and robbed and dead. And that we have received it as well. And so this morning, the band is going to come back up and we're going to respond to the Lord. To what He's revealing to us through His Word. And so if you need to sit and just soak in it because the Spirit is moving in your heart this morning, would you do that? If you want to stand and sing to your King who has rescued you, would you do that? If you need to mull over the question of, am I a good neighbor? It's a great place to start. There will be some men and women um, in the back of the room. If you need someone to talk to or pray with, they're available to you for any reason. Um, but also the Lord's Supper is set up this morning in, in three locations around the room. And that's for those this morning who would say, I've, I've been the, re- the rebel who was beaten and robbed and left for dead. I was dead in my sins and Jesus has rescued me. And it's Right? His blood that was shed. He paid the cost, not me. It was His body, the cracker, right, that was broken, not mine. And so I have hope and inheritance and eternal life this morning because of Jesus. He justified me, not me. You can get up at any point during these next three songs and take the Lord's Supper as as an individual, with friends, as a family. Um, Would you respond as the Spirit is moving and leading in you this morning? Let me pray for it. Father, thank You that You are our Rescuer. That You are our Justifier. 
God, that it's not our ability to keep ourselves saved or to keep ourselves being a good neighbor that makes you pleased with us. It's your life, your death, your resurrection. But Lord, would we take your command this morning that the call for someone who knows these things and who trusts you and who is devoted to you is to go and do likewise. To obey it and to be it. So God, would you equip us? Would you, would you give us eyes to see those around us? God, would you reveal blind spots and, and hypocrisy? God, would you reveal those who we don't want to be good neighbors to? And would we repent of that? Lord, would we be a body that would go collectively together and do likewise? In Jesus' name.